a lot of real estate properties, there's not the liquidity. If a real property fund has too much debt and people start to want money, there's a, a run on cash call. Then they have to put a freeze on that fund because then you got to start to sell properties and typically it's a depressed market. So it just doesn't work well for anybody. Hey, investors, you are listening to the Investing to Win podcast, the show dedicated to empowering investors to achieve financial freedom and live your best life. This show is committed to offering honest conversation between investors, common sense strategies, real-time market updates, and professional guidance to achieving financial freedom. Investing doesn't have to be super hands-on or complicated. We are all about passive investments with real gain, so you have freedom of time and money. Your host is none other than Garrett Wong, who brings decades of experience in buying, renovating, and managing cash flow investment properties. Thanks for being here and get ready to invest to win. Welcome, my name is Garrett Wong, host of the Investing to Win podcast. Today, I am pleased to welcome Doug Blaylock to uh, our recording studio. Doug, how are you? Very good, Garrett. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so a um, little bit of background here. Doug and I actually met playing hockey, believe it or not. And me being a real estate guy and Doug's a financial guy, I actually thought it would be really cool to debate the pros and cons of real estate versus quote-unquote traditional investments. But uh, let's back up a little bit, Doug. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? What's your story and your background? Well, I like to tell people I've got grade nine, no French, but um, actually I have grade nine, no French. So there's my background. Uh, actually, no, I uh, joined Investor Group in 2004, got my certified financial planner designation a couple of years after that. And um, our practice is with uh, IG Wealth Management, and our practice name is actually Beer Blaylock and Associates IG Private Wealth. Okay, so have you always been in finances? No, actually, my first career I was a funeral director. Wow! So my my <laughs> dentist likes to say that I read the book of life backwards. I uh, did death, and now I do taxes. So uh, <laughs> the yes. two certainties in life, right? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, so let's uh, let's get right into it then. I mean, this is a real estate podcast. We're always talking about you know rental properties and flipping, but what in your definition, being a financial planner, is a traditional investment? I think when it comes to tr traditional investments, I think right away people would start to think about stocks, bonds, and maybe GICs, guaranteed uh, investment certificates. And maybe I'll just break down a little bit about about each one. So a stock, or often referred to as equity, um, is going to be a ownership of a fraction of a company. So we're both having Starbucks coffees right now. So if I own Starbucks stock, I, if I have 10 shares of Starbucks, whatever percentage of that is of the total shares issued by Starbucks, that's my pro rata ownership. So I will get dividends or, or, or equity growth on those 10 shares. So it's ownership. The other part is bonds. And typically, most people, when they hear about bonds, they think of, oh, Manitoba Hydro bonds or government's Canada savings bonds. And really, that's just a way for the country, municipality, or even a corporation to raise money. Example, GM could issue a bond. So they'll say, okay, we're not going to issue any more stock because that waters down the ownership of all shareholders. We're going to issue a bond. So you're going to then say, okay, I'm going to give you $100,000. There's a predetermined uh, rate that you're going to get. And as long as that company make, pays their bills, you're going to get that your principal and that rate back. 
GICs, or a Guaranteed Investment Certificate, that in Canada falls under typically financial institutions or a lot of credit unions will offer this. You're going to offer, you're going to put $50,000 in a GIC. They're going to say, okay, you're going to keep it there for one, three, or five years. And at the end of that term, you're going to get your principal back. And then typically interest on a GIC is paid or accrued monthly. And then you'll get that principal plus interest back. Okay, so that's three things, stocks, bonds, GICs in that order. Is is there a, an order of risk with those as well? Abs- absolutely. So risk reward is huge, right? And maybe I'll back up a little bit and talk about any of our clients. Money always has a purpose, right? So it's what is your goal to achieve things, right? So maybe it could be retirement. It could be to leave a legacy. It could be a child's education. It could be a vacation. It could be to purchase a rental property. Then there's going to be a time frame in which you want to accomplish that. I want to buy a rental property in five years, right? I want to retire in 20 years. I want my child's education in 18 years. So there's a time frame. And then there's what acceptable risk am I willing to take to achieve my goal? So when you have an equity position in a company, you're going to assume more risk. So you're in that boat together with that company, whether it's Starbucks or Coca-Cola or, or GM. So that is going to give you the best chance of a growth. Now, stock, there's all different types of stock in the sense of all different types of company. And everybody's got Microsoft. I'm pretty sure I've seen a Microsoft logo on your computer. (laughs) When Microsoft started out, it was considered venture capital. Who in the heck is going to buy a computer? What in the heck is software? What does Microsoft stand for? Fast forward 20, 30 or so years, you know, Bill Gates is one of the richest people in the world. Um, everybody's got, almost everybody's got Microsoft something on their phone or computer or wristwatch or something. Well, now that's a mature stock. So it's gone its way through the cycle as far as being venture capital, kind of being a blend of venture growth capital, and now it's a mature company. And you really, when you think of it, their stock is probably not going to appreciate in value a whole bunch. But because you're getting residuals, you're paying your service fee or you're paying your licensing fee, you're paying your upgrade. Well, they've got a gazillion subscribers or a gazillion people using their product. It's a good trickle effect income, very much like rental income, right? Okay. So stock has different risks. Bonds. Bonds also have very different risks. And and a lot of consumers out there really aren't aware of the risk that comes with a bond. A very good friend of mine is a huge GM Motors fan. And General Motors years ago was uh, having some issues. And my buddy said, he said, I would never buy GM stock. And I'm like, well, okay, that's kind of a rash thing to say, but okay. I said, would you buy a GM bond? He goes, oh, absolutely. I says, well, hang on. You actually are protected better when you own an equity portion of the company versus you're just a lender to the company. This is what a bond is. A bond is a lender, right? Right. GICs or guaranteed investment certificates are actually very, very secure. And in Canada, we have uh, CDIC, Canadian Deposit Insurance Corporation. So when you have investments, GIC investments, or high interest savings investments under the $100,000 limit, those are then guaranteed. And there's certain stipulations to each type or institution, but there are. But you think in an equity return, you have the much more upside, Mm -hmm. but there is risk, more risk. Bond, depending upon the type of bond, less risk, less upside. And then if you look at GICs, typically, I mean, Prime's now 7.2%. 
typically they didn't yield very well. They are now, but then historically you'll start to see uh, the equities take over as far as fixed income. And taxation's a big thing. Capital appreciation on a equity, when you dispose of it, you only pay tax on half your profit. Okay. Capital gains. Right. Interest on bonds and GICs is 100% taxable. So I always, when we talk with clients, what is the net income result you want to receive? So let's do it with your acceptable risk and let's see if we can make it taxation friendly. Okay. Risk reward. I get it. So when you're talking about, that's what like, when I think about a GIC, I know my parents were in those quite a bit. You hear about the 2%, 3%, 4% versus a venture capital stock or somebody, you know, looks into the future and they're like, oh, I double, triple, quadrupled my money on stocks, right? But again, that company could only be two or three years old. That's the risk. Absolutely. And there was one stat I wanted to look at, and I went back to 1980. Now, I know that we were both very, very young in 1980. <laughs> and, uh, but I went and, and I, I went on the MLS, I think is where I was looking. Uh, an average price of a home in Winnipeg was under $100,000 in 1980. Mm-hmm. As of May 2023, the average is just slightly now over 350. And I didn't want to use Toronto and Vancouver numbers sure. and stuff to, to skew things. Well, the Toronto Stock Exchange, which is the Canadian Equity Index, right? In 1980, uh, it was at uh, 1,789 was its low. Okay. And in May of 2023, 19,500. That's an increase of over 1,000%. Right. And that doesn't include, neither one includes uh, reinvested dividends or income or things like that. Apples to apples though. Yeah. Yeah. So I think it's very interesting. But then you can get into say, okay, well, what kind of income stream am I getting? And that's the important thing to look at when you look at, and you know this, when you look at rental properties is what what, what am I getting for it? And any of my clients that have rental properties, it's like, does it really matter if the city of Winnipeg on your assessment says it's worth $300,000 or $400,000? And they say, no, Doug, I'm getting $2,500 a month from it. Right. And really, as my dad used to say, I don't care what it's worth, it's only worth what somebody's willing to pay for it. Exactly. Right? Exactly. But I mean, I've been actually pushing, especially in these high interest rate uh, environments, the concept of cash flow versus equity, because mm-hmm. on a single family home, you're only getting a couple hundred bucks a month. We're not talking big three-story walk-ups or high rises. So what is the purpose of owning a rental property? I've always said it's that capital appreciation, the fact that the tenant is paying down the mortgage a little bit, and then that is your quote-unquote profit. But when you talk about a factor of a 1,000%, just, again, apples to apples, well, that's almost appearing to be a check mark in the category for traditional investments. For sure. But then I think it's comfort level, Right. Both of, you, both of us got here in vehicles. We both had different vehicles, right? Both of us are wearing jackets and shirts with a collar and, and things, but they both look different. I think at the end of the day, it's all about comfort level. There are people that absolutely love tangible assets. And if you've got the castle to support that, it's huge. I think one of the scariest things, and I think we're so, I think we're so bi- recency biased. I've, I've heard that term used a lot. And we go, oh my God, 7.2% prime is high. 
It's funny. A very good friend of mine and a client sent me a clip from 1981 mm -hmm, mm -hmm. when interest rates went up to 15 point something. Yep. And they were interviewing everybody. They didn't look as good as arsons do today, but they were interviewing <laughs> these guys in the news. And they said, you know, 15%. Like if you have a 14, 13% mortgage, you're so lucky. You're so lucky. And they said 13% will never happen again. It's only going up. It's a very recency bias. When you look at what the government can do, and they can only do one thing, they don't create jobs. They only do one thing. They can control inflation. They try to, they can control interest rates, which in turn control sure. inflation. Yeah. And interest rates have to go up. And I mean, right now they, they're definitely high if you've got a variable rate mortgage, but they have to go up because in times of trouble, the only thing a government can do is bring rates down. So they have to build stimulate some, the yes, economy. They have to build some cushion room. And you'll know more about this than I will. I mean, I read a couple of articles, but I mean, right now, from what I understand in Winnipeg, inventory is down. Yes. So when there's less to purchase, it pushes a price up. Correct. And that means that typically there's fewer people that can afford to buy. So it's kind of a, it, until there's more inventory, I think we'll still see higher prices, even though interest rates are high. But typically the people that are buying those properties aren't really concerned about borrowing money. Well, it, it's interesting because, like, was that a pun? Interesting. No. <laughs> Sorry, I'm a dad. Um, <laughs> is this live? No, seriously, though, like when you have a higher interest rate, what's happening right now is the house prices are actually going down because there's more inventory, there's more, it's basic supply and demand. Mm -hmm. So now there's cheaper prices. Now there's more inventory and actually there's more people leaving the home ownership market and coming into the rental market, which is then accelerating the inventory. So just by the government increasing interest rates, now they're creating more, more supply and demand. Right? And, and I think what's really neat, what you just said is that I live in Osborne Village area and it's been amazing the transformation of how many more rental units have been built. Yes. The condo, I'm in a condo downtown or Osborne Village, and originally that was built as a rental. I think it was built in the 60s. I think it was converted to a condo in the 80s. And that's just, I think, the cycle that those buildings are on. And I think if we live long enough, we'll see some of those rental properties that have been built convert to condos down the road as well. But they're doing exactly what you said. Uh-oh, I can't afford this home ownership thing but I can't afford a rental. So it's created an entire different economy within the housing structure. Well, and I mean, I could go on and on. Like that's almost an entire podcast on its own because as a property manager, we see a lot of younger people not agreeing or maybe not being vested in the concept of equity. So they, they become purposeful, almost long-time lifetime renters. Because again, when you do those calculations on the interest long-term, not paying down your mortgage over 25, 30 years, arguably you would be better off to just rent and not have a roof that goes or a furnace. So that's, that's the mentality that's starting to be yeah. out there. Yeah. And I think the more, I'm going to use the word more global, but let's just stay within our own country. The more people travel more, people have access to news more. We're doing podcasts. This wasn't done 20 years ago. We now know what housing prices are in Vancouver. We know what they are in Montreal. We know what they are in Toronto. And some younger people go, home ownership is just not in the, it's, it's just not in the cards for me. It's just not going to be possible. And they might think $400,000 home is expensive. Right. And it's, I mean, 
unfortunately or fortunately, it's not. And it's just that's kind of that's that's the way it is. So people are picking and choosing. And it's the same with careers. You know, people now it's, you know, it used to be seven years was how long you're in your existing career. Yeah. Now it yeah. might be seven months. Yeah. I, I, I don't oh, know. Or you could become a YouTuber, right? <laughs> right out of high. No, there's, I mean, that's that's the persona. That's the impression with our young people. Exactly. Right? So uh, it's a different mindset. It's a it's a different world. But I think at the end of the day. We talk about building net worth. There's multiple ways to build net worth. And it can be through real estate. It can be through traditional investments. The one thing that if I could say I really, really notice, especially recently with interest rates going up, is because interest is deductible on a mortgage that you're using as a rental property, right? So example, I take a mortgage, I buy a property, I use it to generate income. That mortgage interest is is tax deductible. The rental income that I receive is taxable. If you borrowed money to invest in a mutual fund or a stock, et cetera, that's also tax deductible. Sure. You hope for capital appreciation in your, in your traditional investments, but you also hope for capital appreciation in your, in your rental property as well. Now it's the income portion of it. But where I see so many people kind of going sideways is that they're not able to, they don't have the cash flow to service that debt. Right. And that's like, anything. And if you can't service your debt, people think whether it's a stock or an ETF or a rental property or whatever, they think there's some silver bullet out there. There isn't. You need to have a plan. Whether the plan is including a rental property, whether the plan is including you know, a mutual fund or GIC or whatever the case may be, you have to have a plan. And that's what to me is what so many people lack. Oh, money is less expensive to borrow. Let's go borrow it. Well, hang on. Right. Because if you borrow money at, again, I'm just going to throw a number out there, maybe two years ago at three or 4%. And now you put it into a stock, mutual, GIC, whatever it's going to be, and you're getting 10%. So great, your spread is six. But you still have to pay for the initial loan for the four, right? Yeah. And then you have to pay tax. And then you have to look at inflation. And what does that really mean? And and that's, that's the fallacy. Yeah. I always talk about anytime I build a financial plan, net income, how much money a month do you need, whether it's, let's say it's retirement, how much money a month do you need for retirement? Let's calculate a way to get that. Let's look at OAS, let's look at CPP, let's look at your pension plan. Now let's look at your individual investments. Is it non-registered? Is it a rental property generating you income? Those types of things to get that net, net income. Don't tell me about the gross stuff. Well, let's talk about net stuff. Right. That's your spendable money. Okay, so stocks, bonds, GICs, in terms of that risk uh, pyramid listed there, let's add real estate to it. Mm -hmm. A lot of people don't want to get into real estate because it's associated with risky things, tenants pulling midnight runs, fires, you know, midnight things that happen on Fridays, right? (laughs) Our our hot water tanks and our furnaces (laughs) and in this company seem to always go on a Friday night at two in the morning. But where would you slot in real estate in terms of that pyramid of risk, stocks, bonds, GICs? Yeah. Well, great question. And a very good friend of mine talked in real estate, talked about location, location, location. Any of my clients that have rental property, their three words are tenant, tenant, tenant. Mm -hmm. It's Mm -hmm. all about the tenant. And it could be like any relationship. It's about your partner. It's about your spouse. It's about financial relationships. It's about your banker. It's about your financial planner. And 
I really think anybody that gets into rental properties, if they have the right mindset and they work with the right professionals, they work with, I really believe that you have to deal with the proper property management. And I'm not just saying that because I'm sitting with you. Mm-hmm. Like you have to work with professionals. I know very few people. I live in a condo for a reason. I don't want to cut grass. I grew up on a farm. I'm done cutting grass. I'm done cleaning eave troughs. I'm done washing my windows. You got to work with a professional. I don't know how many guys on a Friday night want to leave their family to go fix a hot water tank. Right. Or the neighbor of your rental property is calling because there's a U-Haul pulled up on a Thursday night. Right. Like, I don't know how many people want to deal with that. I'm assuming maybe you could insure against it. I mean, for fire or theft or different things like that, maybe you can, but... I, I really think it comes down right down to the tenant. And I think that probably comes down to the type of property that you have. Yeah. And I mean, I don't want to get into a, a rabbit hole there because we're trying to debate the merits of traditional versus real estate investments. But like you hit the nail on the head right there. I always have a saying, do you want to invest in real estate or do you want to be a real estate investor? Yeah, And being yeah. a real estate investor, that's fine. You go to all of the clubs, you read the books, you know, the rich dad, poor dads. And, and you're completely happy to get that call on Thursday night and find that your door is swinging open and all your appliances are stolen. And, oh, by the way, a squatter, you know, uh, for drugs also came in and ripped out all of your plumbing and electrical. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Or you want to invest in, uh, in real estate passively. So that could be, again, with my company, it could be buying a property, having a professional manage it, or it could be uh, investing in a fund that I guess buys and sells real estate. Why don't yeah. you tell us a little bit about funds that uh, yeah. are more slated towards real estate? So most, most financial planning companies have access to, we call them real property funds because they actually invest in real property. I'll speak of the one I know of the best um, at IG Wealth Management. There's a McKenzie real property fund um, here in Winnipeg. It's easy to pick it out. The tuxedo mall is, is owned by that fund. They're actually removed the, uh, Shell gas station and are building a high rise apartment. Yeah, there. I saw that there. Yeah. Now, yeah, you have to actually un- look at the prospectus. So the underlying sort of guidelines of that fund, that fund will not take on debt. So an example would be, let's say for fund, they buy property ABC. Um, it has a whatever, 500,000, a million dollar mortgage on it. They'll look at paying it out. But if the penalty is very substantive, they'll say, just, just keep it. We'll pay it off because it's all about cash flow. So an example, you have a client, they have money in the real property fund, they want exposure to real estate in all different parts of Canada, and some is business, some is um, a business like commercial, some is um, residential, some might be industrial. Well, that's a good way to get exposure, but then you also want liquidity, because in a lot of real estate properties, there's not the liquidity. So with a real estate fund, when you don't have debt, then they can, they've got enough cash in reserve to give clients their money when they want it. If a real property fund has too much debt and people start to want money, there's a, a run on cash call, then they have to put a freeze on that fund because then you got to start to sell properties and typically it's a depressed market. So it just doesn't work well for anybody. So again, cash flow is cash is always king. Did you know that there is a big difference between investing in real estate and becoming a real estate investor? People become real estate investors all the time. They get into a flip or conversion project or even dealing with long-term tenants, and they come back to us to tell us the same thing. 
it's like having another full-time job. I don't know about you, but that's not what we call investing. Investing in real estate is about having your money work for you in a way that is passive, consistent, most importantly, hands-off. So which one are you? Do you want to be a real estate investor or do you want to invest in real estate? For those that are open to investing in real estate and having your money work for you, listen up. Garrett Wong has spent decades helping thousands of property owners navigate the ins and outs of property investing and management through his award-winning company, Upper Edge Property Management. Their new division, Upper Edge Capital, is currently involved in multiple projects, from single-family flips to multifamily development. Are you looking for a healthy return on your invested capital or perhaps becoming a joint venture partner? If so, go to www.upperedgecapital.com forward slash invest to book a time to speak with Garrett and his team to see if there is a fit. Once again, the link is www.upperedgecapital.com forward slash invest. Now back to the show. So let's unpack that for a second, because I mean, I, I went to a real estate conference in Toronto uh, last month, and there was a ton of companies with syndication funds. And I mean, that's not even what we're talking about here. That's a private individual giving mm-hmm. 50, 75, $100,000 for not a guaranteed return, but a proposed return of 15, 20, 25%. So they, so they say, but I know those companies are taking on debt. They're taking your money. They're going to secure a property. They're going to get a real mortgage. And then they're going to either renovate. I mean, pick your flavor. Not all funds that you just talked about, real property funds, in fact, that sounds like an exception to me, would go debt-free in order to make sure they have that flexibility. Yeah, yeah. It's, I, if, I remember, if I remember correctly, the, the one that I'm most familiar with um, has never had a freeze on redemptions. Because their policy has always been, don't take on debt. Okay, so let me ask a corresponding question then on a lot of these real property funds that, and and anecdotally, right? You don't have to give me hard data. In the world, in North America, is it very common to hear of these freezes on redemption? Yes. Okay. Okay. Especially in a down market. Because typically in a down market, let's go back to, um, let's go back to September 2008. Oh my goodness! It was a it was the boogeyman financial crisis that was happening in the United States. Yeah, and oh oh, you know the the apocalypse, the four horsemen, or whatever you want to call it, the world is coming to an end, and housing prices in the states just went down. And if you remember, the U.S. government had a policy: everyone should own a home. Not everyone's qualified to be a homeowner, but then what they did is they set up these special loans. We call them ninja loans: no job, no income, you get a loan. Huh. Yeah. And again, follow the money. These people handing out these loans got paid really, really well, the more you did. So there was people that had two, three, four homes, possible rental properties as well, that were paying interest only with some balloon payments kicked down the road. Okay. Well, that doesn't bode well for anyone long term. Now, it boded well for some Canadians because when the Americans had some trouble, Canadian dollar went well over one US dollar. And oh my goodness, a lot of our friends in Canada, I ended up buying homes in either parts of California or parts of Arizona and parts of Florida because of a suppressed price. But what happens typically when, I'm, when an equity market starts to come down, people typically go, oh my goodness, I got to head for the hills. 
We're going to start to trade shiny rocks eventually. I want my cash. Right. And that's typically when a real property fund will have a hard time answering the cash call that people want. Okay. We're talking now risk reward. And that's very interesting what you said there because when somebody wants to invest in real estate, they can A, go to the realtor, do a ton of, like we just said, and they can buy a property and just rent it out. Mm -hmm. I mean, everybody knows one person that seems to have a rental property. Number two, they can have it professionally managed. Number three, they can buy into a, a syndication fund. Number four, they can buy real property into a real property fund. But then there's two different flavors that you're talking Absolutely. about there, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, I think it's buyer beware and make sure that you have an advisor that can... Yeah, and I was, I was just, just going to say, Garrett, is that's why you work with professionals. That's, we don't pull our own teeth. We don't check our own eyes. Like, I don't change. I don't fix my car. Like, we each have a profession that we do, and that's why we rely on other people. Mm -hmm. it's, it's, I think it's critically important. None of us can do everything. And I think it's very, very important that when you work with a professional is that they understand the marketplace. They understand your item or your product or your position that's absolutely critical. So one of the questions I wanted to ask you was, you know, misperceptions of real estate versus traditional investments. What, what, is, what do you see with your clients? Because you said you have clients that invest in both. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that the biggest misconception is that there's a silver bullet. That, oh my goodness, I buy these four properties or I buy a, a fourplex and my, 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 all my worries are done. I can retire in 20 minutes and oh my goodness, it's going to be wonderful. Yeah. Or I'm going to use, I mean, marijuana became legal um, in Canada a number of years ago. And I was with some clients out in the Vancouver area and I was like, Doug, we got to get into pot. We got to get into pot. We got to get into pot. And I says, you know, I don't care what you do in your free time. <laughs> And this client was in her 70s. I said, you're not investing in pot. Just because it's legal doesn't mean it makes any money. I said, typewriters are still legal. Yeah. Nobody owns a typewriter. Why don't we get a track record on where... Let, let's see them make some money. And it's amazing. I still like to watch certain um, investments from the, from the sidewalk. And um, yeah, it's, there, there's, there's no... Profit. You can brag about revenue all you want. Tell me where the profit is. Right. There's right. lots of dot com showed us that. There's lots of places that have revenue. Yeah. Show me profit. Yeah. Profit margins is everything. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So diversification is a really, really big word in financial planning, and that's why we're debating. I'd like to say we're debating real estate, although you're, you're showing me a different perspective. But you know, speak to me about diversification and. Do you even recommend adding real estate to portfolio or, you know, I guess everybody's different. What would you say to that? Yeah. So I'm going to go right back to whenever I sit down with a client, understand what their goals are. Understand what do they want to accomplish. And then you take it like, I'll use the word Polaroid, but we'll say take a picture of where you are today. What do you have for fixed assets? Typically, it's your home, maybe a cottage, maybe a vacation property down south. And then let's look at what do you have for investments? And then I always like to ask, how did you get here? You must have done something right. You've got something to count. Like, well, how did you get here? And then I start to dig more into comfort level. You know, okay. did somebody inherit a bunch of money? Did somebody work and save, save really, really hard? Because saving and investing are two different things. Right. 
And then I start to say, okay, if you've got all this cash or do you think you're ever going to use it? Some people say, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give that to my kids. Okay. Okay. Is there a way that you can make that, make something for your children or grandchildren? Can you make it bigger? Can you make it bigger through property? Can you make it bigger through an insurance policy? Can you make it, is there something that we can do? So one thing that's nice, I mean, rental properties or even insurance, but let's use rental properties as an example. You take whatever, two, three, four hundred thousand dollars and you buy a property, then you go, okay, well, I'm no longer paying tax on that money. I'm actually gonna depreciate it, get a bit of a deduction on it. My rental income is gonna come in. Maybe you end up taking a mortgage against that property later. So now that interest is tax deductible. Mm -hmm. So there are, depending upon the client situation, some clients go, oh my goodness, Doug, no. Like I've just, I worked all my life to pay off my house. I'm not gonna take a loan out and buy another one. Mm -hmm. Or, oh my God, Doug, I don't clean my own windows. Why would I go clean a rental property's windows? And then I say, okay, but if you think the investment's good, let's talk to a real estate developer. So let's talk to someone who manages properties and kind of out of sight, out of mind. So mindset, do you find that somebody who is in traditional investments shies away from real estate and that's why they're in traditional? Or have you seen people that do both? And sorry to keep daisy chaining the questions, but if you have somebody who chooses to invest in real estate, do you find that they're more risk friendly yes yes yeah uh, you know what i think I, I think i can say unequivocally yes and the clients that i have that have real estate properties or rental properties they enjoy it they absolutely enjoy it um they're okay with that friday night phone call mm -hmm. they're okay you know what they've remodeled their house 15 times it's like okay now this is another project that i get to work on kind yeah. of thing or get their kids involved with some of the things so i think they're willing to take on more risk i, I don't know if i'd say more i'd say different diversified well, risk diversified yeah right yeah yeah i completely agree and, and you know i'm, I'm going to go back even to pe people that say oh my god i uh my sister or i lost money in stocks you know in 1921 or whatever it was or oh my god i lost money in a mutual fund in 1947 or something i mean my next question is oh well what stock what mutual fund they don't know right that's like saying oh my goodness i got bit by a dog right well where yeah did you poke it with a stick like there's got to be more to it. It's not just a, a one phrase thing. It's like, let's look at things. Yeah. My neighbor's best friend's uncle's niece's neighbor <laughs> had a tenant break in and blah, blah, blah happened. Right. Yeah, well, yeah, what yeah. city was in it? I don't know, but I, I don't want it. I don't want real estate because of it. Right. Exactly. Exactly. I think typically a comment like that is either one, they don't know what to say. So it's got to be bad again, because as kids, we've been sold, don't say no, say no, say no kind of idea. Mm -hmm. But also too, I think it's just like, okay, if I say that this is terrible, this guy's going to stop talking about it, or it's not even a choice. Right. And, and we, how do you want to say, we don't, we don't know what we don't know. And I can tell you just through different aspects of my life, is that I've learned more, because I got a couple more years under my belt. Mm -hmm. I mean, uh, I, I, this is something that's probably not only on topic, but I had, I knew nothing about organ transplants. Nothing. Well, my partner on May the 4th donated her kidney. Wow. wow. So that really, what she did, it took about almost two years to do. But over that process, wow. We're lucky for where we live and the era that what we live in. Mm -hmm. 
So I don't care if it's organ donation. I don't care if it's real estate or it's in traditional or non-traditional investing. I just think we have to learn more about it, but you have to go to a true professional and get the answers. Not my Uncle Bob, who's a mechanic that read a mutual fund magazine in 1974. Right. But do you find that the people, your clients who are in real estate investment are more likely to invest in the dot-coms, the venture capital, in terms of risk profile? Like, are they... No, no, I would say no, because they're, they're, they're concerned about physical investment property and the income that property generates. Okay. They, what did Warren Buffett made a comment? He says, I'll never buy Microsoft because I don't understand it. And yet Bill Gates is his best friend. Right, right. I understand people pour hot ketchup on hot dogs. You know, I understand people like Kit Kat candy bars, right? I understand how we have to put put things on trains and get them to certain places. I'm in pineapple pizza. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Let's, let's go there. <laughs> okay, so let, let's talk about analysis, right? Because when when a client comes to you and they say, "Okay, Doug, I I love what you've done for me. I want to get into a little bit of real estate. What, what can I do?" What mm-hmm. should I do? What are the first steps? And what are those risks that you, yeah. you try to analyze for them? So typically what I like to do, if it's a couple, I want to look both of them in the eyes and say, okay, who here cuts the grass at your house? Who here fixes the, you know, the hot water tank at midnight? Who here, who knows where Home Depot is? Like, mm-hmm. who knows these things? And if both of them look like a deer in the headlights, I'll say, okay, we got to talk to somebody else in the room. <laughs> No, but I mean, that's that's your typical landlord scenario. But I mean, like we said, level two of that is, okay, you've got X amount of dollars of capital. I'll set you up with a realtor. We'll talk to your accountants. I know a good property manager. And this is another way that you can get into this. Or maybe it's just, let's go the fund route. Yeah. No, well, I mean, for my clients, it's whatever avenue they want to go. And let's hook them up. I'm not a real estate professional. So that's where I'd hook them up with a person like yourself or a real estate investor that would say, okay, well, here's some properties that are for sale. Now, what about managing them, right? And I think that that's really, really critical. But it's understanding kind of, we can all talk about the good days. I'll have to talk to my clients about the bad days first. It will rain. There will be potholes in the road. There Possibly there will be a hot water tank that fails. Are you okay with that? Because we're, we're all okay with good days. We're all okay with making money. We're all okay with great tenants. What if we don't have a great tenant? And so absolutely, the clients of mine that do have rental properties, again, like I said before, they, they enjoy it. They really like You're talking about active them. investors, right? These, these uh, absolutely. Yeah, are, yeah. yeah ab- absolutely. I do have a very good friend of mine who has properties. He's lived all over the world. He still has properties around the world. He has a management company that looks after them. And part of his retirement plan is that income stream from his rental properties. And he said, if it wasn't for the property manager, he would not have those properties. Right. Of course. I mean, especially if you're uh, not in that region. Yeah. Um, No, I I know that we touched on this very early in terms of comparing both when you put that income stream into it and maybe... You know, the, the end goal for myself is, you know, to get, you know, let's say 10 properties and pay them off. So now, you know, even now you have real cash flow coming in, right? Yeah. Now yeah. it's really working for you. How do you, how do you temper that against traditional investments then? I mean, it's a tough one, right? Because to get there is yeah. very risky. So you could have had 10 tenants that blew the house up 10 times. You, you, you could have, but I, I think, and you can correct me if I'm wrong. I think the higher quality 
properties you have attract a higher quality tenant. In a general sense, yes. Yeah, and, and, and I think a higher quality tenant will give you less turnover, give maybe you less headaches, and help you along that way. I think that diminishes your risk. Okay, so this is, this is really interesting because what you're, what you're really talking about here is very similar to your profile of stocks, mm-hmm. bonds, and mutuals Absolutely. because a higher-end property that's going to attract a higher-end tenant is going to cost more. Yeah. So therefore, your returns are less. In the beginning, yes. Or whatever you're going to say. So yeah. if your returns are less, you're okay with that because you have a more stable investment. Right. And you probably have, and you're probably a more mature investor. So that means that you've got either more borrowing power, you have more equity, you have a better understanding of what you're getting into, and you're at that higher end of real estate. And that would have meant you've worked with professionals to get you to that point, in my understanding. Well, I'll tell you. I mean, I I started out in real estate in 1997. Uh, Most people know this story. First rental property, the corner of Selkirk and Maine. Um, plumbing was ripped out, furnace was gone. And that's what I did. I cut my teeth in there and I was in those C-class properties for years, but I was also in my late twenties. I don't want to do that anymore. (laughs) Right. And now when I, you know, when I try to, I, I, I think everybody has to start somewhere, but when you, you know, I say to people, add up what you would have spent on the property versus a higher end property over five years, but calculate in vacancy loss, squatting, stolen things, insurance claims, and the fact that a lower-end property in a, in a poor neighborhood is not going to appreciate as fast, I believe after five years, it would be at least equal, if not that the higher-end property, if you're able to have the resources to get it, is going to outperform. For sure. But I think what you've learned in those five years is probably better than any kind of degree you could get when it comes to property management. 100%. Understanding kind of like on the ground floor, you're walking in on the ground floor. If you're having to replace pipe, you're potentially that area you in might even be uninsurable. Yeah. So that brings a whole other level of risk to it, right? Yeah. But I, I think that you're absolutely right. You got to start somewhere. And we both didn't start driving the vehicles we have when we were nine, or at least I didn't, when I was 16 or 17 no. years old. I think that everything that we do in life is baby steps. We'll never reach perfection. But if we can every year, every month, whatever, every decade, can we make an improvement, not just to ourselves, but our family and the communities that we live in? I think that we can. Okay. Well, let me, let me ask you this then. With respect to advice for investors, what... General advice would you give to somebody trying to decide between traditional investments and real estate investments? Yeah. Another good question. I think understanding the client's goals, first and foremost, is going to help pick. And then when you find out where they are right now and kind of what their, I guess, kind kind of what their mindset is. I'll give you a class example. We have clients just retired. And this guy can fix anything. His home is like a Swiss watch. It's perfect. Like perfect. They wanted to buy some rental properties. So they went and they bought three. Mm-hmm. And we ended up, they, they ended up switching some debt. So they got debt on their home to purchase these properties. The debt's now tax deductible. All of those things. This guy went and bought a, a new truck or leases, sorry, a new truck. And uh, he loves it. 
he loves this more than he loved his professional job. So it's running Every around day, collecting rents, around and town, fixing the uh, loose doorknobs, and absolutely. Now his tenants might not like him popping by all the time, <laughs> but he loves it. So there's almost like a, a, a situation where their entire life they've been in traditional investments. When you ask someone, okay, now you're retired, what are you going to do? You got to do something. We're meant to do something right. as humans. Right. His number one goal was to keep working on the house, and his wife said, "You're done." Yeah. Like you're done working on this house. Yeah. He goes, well, let's go buy some so I can have something to do. And they're going to generate an income stream for us. Yeah. No, <laughs> you know, it's quite funny. We're almost uh, out of time here. And when I, when I envisioned you and I talking about traditional investments versus real estate, I thought, you know, oh, it's going to be a hockey fight, right? <laughs> um, but, I'm too scared of you. You'll be. Yeah, yeah, right. But uh, keep your head up. No, but but what we're really talking about here is everybody's different. Mm -hmm. Your situation at that present time, both personal and financially and professionally could be different. Just like your client who's a little bit older now and he wants to putter. Absolutely. That's really what it is. And he has a financial wherewithal to do that. And because he's handy, his version of risk is very, very low. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So everybody's different. Speak to you, your professionals. Absolutely. And make an informed decision. Absolutely. Yeah, ab absolutely. And I think that's almost with anything. It's funny. People will go and they're going to go on a vacation and it might be a week or a 10 day vacation. They'll do research for six months. And then it comes to retirement or buying a rental property. They go, oh, my goodness, interest rates are down. We should buy something. Yeah. One week. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> a week of research. And it, it's just it's just mind boggling. And, and you meet someone for the first time coming to retirement planning. And I ask a silly question like, so how much money a month would you like in retirement? They go, I max out my RSPs. That's great. But how much money a month do you want in retirement? Right. It, to me, it's we all do things and those things cost money. What are some investments, whether it's real estate, whether it's traditional funds, whatever the case may be, how do we generate the type of an income for you to enjoy your retirement? Choose a goal and reverse engineer how to get there. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's a great place to stop. However, I do have one question and I prepped you for this because you know it's coming. <laughs> so I ask every guest on the podcast and I want to hear what you have to say. So this is the Investing Twin podcast. How do you define success? And what does winning look like for you? Wow. How do, I, how do I define success? Well, success as a financial planner, I think right up front is having my clients meet their goals. That's number one. I'm blessed. Um, I, I, I love my career. I love my clients. Um, I'm, I'm very, very fortunate. So I think success for me is happy clients, number one. And I've also said on a personal style, the reflection of my success is definitely my friends and my family that are around me. They make me who I am. So I'm very, very fortunate that way. I forgot the last part of that. Just how do you how do you define success? Yeah, because you were just saying professionally, but personally, yeah. you know, there's there's a lot of answers there. Yeah, there is. You know what? I guess personally, and Garrett, you know me because you've seen me at, uh, in a in a hockey dressing room. I like to laugh. And I really believe laughter is the best medicine. I get a chuckle every time I look in the mirror to shave in the morning. It's I'm, I look funny, so here we go. But I like to have fun. Um, one thing I can say that I brought over from my other career: life can be short. We should enjoy it. Hundred percent. We need to plan for it, and not just our lives, isn't it? for our children, nieces, nephews, our community. We need to plan for it. But success, personally, 
is making sure that the people that, uh, that I'm around or that, or that hang out with me, that we're compatible. And I think that that's critical. And when I say compatible, we can laugh together. We can have a beer. We can have a cup of coffee. We can have a conversation. And everybody's respectful. And I, I, yeah, I think that that's how I would define my success. Just surround yourself with positive people, positivity. Absolutely. And I think we're blessed. I think we live in a phenomenal city. I'm biased. I think we live in a phenomenal country. I, I, I think there's way more good than bad. And I think we're very, very fortunate. So I, yeah. Amazing. I know that's a cool answer, but that's my answer. That's a great answer. That's a great answer. Well, thank you so much for stopping by the studio today. Might have you on in the future to see what interest rates do. But I I think it's been really educational and really eye-opening for myself as well. So thank you very much for stopping by. Thanks for having me, Gary. Appreciate it. Have a wonderful weekend. Yeah, you too. I hope you enjoyed the episode today on the Investing to Win podcast. Make sure to hit subscribe on whichever platform you are listening to this on. If this episode made you think of another investor, take a screenshot and share this podcast episode with them. Investing to Win is not only about helping you to win more, but WIN actually stands for Wise Investors Network. It's where we help our investors build a hands-off portfolio and have passive investments work for them. To see how you can potentially partner with us, go to www.upperedgecapital.com forward slash invest to learn more. Once again, The link is www.upperedgecapital.com forward slash invest. All links can be found in the description below. Until next time.